Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across, US, from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? Sometimes, like tonight, we host a show about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have covered subjects like the history of U.S. presidents who came from or lived in the city, African-American history in the city. We explored the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement. We've also taken a look at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. Believe it or not, they've been part of the city for over 200 years now. And we've covered the history of punk and opera in New York. And we've also explored the city's greatest train stations and even some of its bridges. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we're hosting another episode where all of us on the show and our engineer are in separate locations due to the social distancing that's essential to keep as many of us as safe as possible during the present health crisis. Uh, and we're hosting a special show tonight about healthcare in New York, specifically about New York City's hospitals. It's not related to COVID-19, but I thought it was an especially good topic given the important role that so many of the city's hospitals are playing in keeping as many of us as safe and healthy as possible. We have two guests tonight. My first guest is Bert Hansen. Bert has been studying the history of science and medicine since the 1970s. He taught at SUNY Binghamton, New York University, and CUNY, that's the City University of New York, and he retired from teaching at Baruch College a few years ago. After earning his PhD at Princeton, Bert published two books and numerous articles. Key publications have explored medical education, popular agitation for public health, early scientific writings about homosexuality, and the stories of lesbian and gay doctors. His large body, his largest body of work concerns the visual record of medicine and science in the past. So obviously, Bert is well positioned to talk about hospitals in the city, especially the images of medicine and popular prints and media, including Hollywood films, children's comic books, Life magazine and works of art. His 2009 book, Picturing Medical Progress from Pasteur to Polio, The History of Mass Media Images and Popular Attitudes in America, won prizes from the Popular Culture Association and the American Library Association. Bert lectures widely, most recently at Oxford University and the Mayo Clinic. And in recent years, he has produced blog posts and numerous articles, many of them for Distillations, an online magazine of the Science History Institute in Philadelphia. Bert, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, a note we've, before we start our interview with Bert, um, one of the things Bert does is he gives physical tours of hospitals. So some of our talk with Bert tonight is going to be a virtual tour of some of New York's hospitals, both past and present. Bert, are you originally from New York? No, I grew up in Chicago, but I came here for college, and that's almost 60 years ago, and I've been here on and off ever since. And I uh, fell in love with New York as a teenager. Oh, wow. What part of the city do you live in now? I live in Chelsea now. Oh, okay. Near the High Line. So if you came to New York to study history, I'm guessing you, you decided early on in uh, your adolescence to, to make the study of history your life's work. Well, actually, I came to study science, and I did oh, science okay. first, and it was from science that I got into history of science and then into history of medicine. So um, I liked the history of it because it was broader than just the, the formulas and the experiments. Uh, and it had architecture and people and lots of popular culture, lots of things were involved in the history of science and medicine. Well, studying the history of medicine, hospitals, and also hospital architecture, which is one of your specialties, um, uh, was there a moment when a light bulb went on when you said, this is the, this is the area of history I'm going I'm to specialize in? Uh, I don't think it was a moment, but from the very beginning, New York was wonderful because of the streetscapes, what you can see walking around. You have 
you have buildings from a couple centuries, but they have styles that look back to antiquity. They look like, like Greek temples, or they look like medieval castles or medieval churches. And so if people pause, the, the diversity and the richness, the texture of the cityscape is a great pleasure and a lot of fun to explore. And that's sort of been an enduring interest all along. And now I've specifically looked at hospital facades and try to help people notice them and think about them and appreciate them. Mm. Well, um, Europeans have uh, settled in New York almost 400 years ago. Um, when the Dutch developed New Amsterdam, did we have anything coming close to hospitals back in those days? Have we always had hospitals or are they more recent um, uh, service and invention for us? Um, they didn't always have them because uh, it was safer and better for any kind of illness or accident to be in your own home. So hospitals only grow when cities get big enough that there are people who uh, might be desperately ill or have a problem, and they have no home to be in. So the earliest hospitals were for the, the ultra poor or for sailors who had no home to go to. If they were in port and they got uh, had an accident or something or got sick, there was no place, no home, no hotel to take them in. So we we had hospitals for that. So the, the, uh, uh, the, the hospitals were originally charity and they were for really for the only poor. They didn't offer much medicine, medical care as we'd recognize it was custodial care. Um, and anyone who could stay out of hospitals stayed out of them until as late as 1900. So when people needed to be treated for either a really bad illness or for an accident, where would they go? What would they do? Well, if they had if they had a home to go to, they would go there. Doctors would come there um, and would even do surgery. And childbirth was at home. And uh, the minute the only surgery, the limited surgery they could do was done on the kitchen table um, and bedroom. And that was it. The hospitals were seen as, as really like the poorhouse, and they were not seen as curative institutions until late in their history. But the, we have two that are founded in the, in the 18th century, uh, and the same original buildings don't survive. But we have New York Hospital, which is now uptown, and we have Bellevue, which is farther up than its original location. Originally, it was around City Hall, uh, which started as a piece of the poorhouse for the people in the poorhouse who got sick and were segregated off um, and were taken care of. Who established these first hospitals in New York? Were, were they private like doctors? Were they, were they run by the equivalent of nonprofits or, or did the city actually set them up? Well, the, the one we call Bellevue was, was set up by the city, by the government as the poorhouse, but it had a medical uh, wing, so to speak. And the other was New York Hospital was a charity because it was seen as an extension of what good people who had some resources should do to look after the less fortunate people in society. Um, well, let's so we talk both kinds from the beginning. Yeah. There were also um, what we might call clinics and not just hospitals. And there are a couple that uh, uh, that you can actually still see the architecture today. Uh, one That's of them right. is actually in the village, not far from where you live. Mm -hmm. uh, two of my favorite buildings in the city. And what, what uh, your listeners should picture is that until very end of the 19th century, when we have germ theory and we have anesthesia, we have the X-ray, technologies that make a hospital value valuable for a middle-class person to go to, but that's late. So until then, for the bulk of the 19th century, the main medical institution were called dispensaries. We, they're sort of like our outpatient clinics. Sick people would go, they'd, they'd sit and wait, and then they'd see a doctor. And by and large, what a doctor could do, since there wasn't really any safe surgery to be done, um, would give you a medicine to take home. And that's why they were called, they dispensed medicine and it was a dispensary. And the buildings we have um, is called the Northern Dispensary in, in the West Village. Um, it's the Christopher Street and Waverly Place, uh, a wonderful triangular building on a triangular-shaped lot, and it, it dates from early. Uh, it's from uh, 1831, and it's still the same building. It had a, a top third floor added in 1854, but the whole thing is 175 years old uh, as it is, and um, it's, it's empty now, but it's landmarked, so it's there, and you really can get a sense of the size and scale of an institution. It was called the Northern Dispensary because it was on the northern edge of the city in 1831 when it was, when it was first built. 
uh, and oh, then across well, town. Yeah, please. So it, it, it's quite a building. I've, I've passed it probably yeah. a thousand times right. in my life right. and, and always look up and it's really gorgeous, but nothing's going on in there now. It's, uh, it seems to be empty. No. It, it's empty right now. Uh, it's not clear what, what can be done with it. It is landmarked, so it will be saved. So we have the, the brick and the shell and maybe something will be done inside some, at some point. Um, but we, so that's, that's the early in the 19th century that we have one. And then we have, one from near the end of the century, which is the end of the t- great period of dispensaries. They dominated healthcare in, in New York for most of the century. Uh, and this one is from, from the uh, 1890s. It's on the, the East Village. And many people may remember seeing it if they think of, they can picture Second Avenue above St. Mark's Place, above between 8th and 9th Street on the east side of the street. There are two buildings that are red brick and red terracotta from the 1890s, highly decorated buildings when you pause to look. There are lots of carvings and lettering. Uh, one is a branch of the public library, the Ottendorf branch of the library. And right next to it is a building that was called the Deutsches Dispensary. The name is still up there in terracotta lettering in German. Um, and we think of it as the German dispensary. And it was, again, it was built as a charitable uh, do-gooder institution uh, by the Ottendorfer family um, for uh, for people, poor people to come and get the, this care. Um, and it, it maintained its role as a clinic until into the 19th century. And then it was other things. And now it's actually law offices. But the building is saved. And it's a gorgeous building uh, with, with lots of carved sculpture of Galen and Hippocrates and great doctors like that on it. So it really, it also is nice to remind us that that was Klein Deutschland. That was the little German neighborhood in New York before it moved uptown to Yorkville, which was then later the German neighborhood in Manhattan. There's, there's a really interesting old hospital building, or actually the just the uh, the skeleton of it uh, on Roosevelt Island. It was uh, actually yeah. designed by the same architect who built St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Cathedral. Do you want to talk about the smallpox hospital for a minute? Yeah, the, small, the smallpox hospital is a ruin, but it's stabilized finally and, and behind nice fencing so we can look at it and appreciate the, the stonework and things like that. But it's fallen in. Uh, could have been totally lost. Uh, and what we want to picture is that now, while Roosevelt is now settled in a sort of middle class place with, with other medical and, and higher ed institutions, um, for most of the earlier period, it was handy as the place where the city built various kind of welfare organizations, hospitals and prisons primarily. Um, and it's handy because it's harder for prisoners to escape. Or if you're sequestering people with a contagious disease like smallpox, uh, it's good to have them a boat right away. Uh, where they can't easily walk out into the city. So um, this the smallpox hospital was was built by an important architect. Um, and uh, and we don't have it is it is a skeleton at this point. There's not there's not you can't really appreciate it as a building, but you get some sense of it. Um, and it's a nice part and, and it's in a great park they built around it now on Roosevelt Island. Oh, it's really beautiful, and it's it's actually stunning to be there at that place, uh, uh, right next to Four Freedoms Park, and then to actually see the uh, the shell of this incredible building. It, it's really yes. beautiful, I think. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Bert Hansen, Professor Emeritus of Baruch College, who specializes in the history of medicine and also hospitals. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. And we're back to Rediscovering New York in our special episode about hospitals in New York. My first guest is Professor Bert Hansen, um, Professor Emeritus at Baruch College, a medical and hospital historian. Um, Bert, what are some of the projects that you're working on right now? Uh, well, my main research project is on a piece of the biography of Louis Pasteur, the famous medical chemist from France, uh, who's, who's well known for all his discoveries, but people had never paid attention to a big chunk of his private life, which is that he had a passion for art, the contemporary artists of his own period. They're now classics, but they were the contemporaries then. And they were his best friends. They were the people he had the dinner informally at his house. He followed the art shows, the great salons in Paris, very carefully and the reviews and kept up with these people. And it helps us see a, a richer Louis Pasteur, a different side of his personality that isn't quite so sober and isn't quite so serious, um, a little bit playful uh, when he's hanging out with the artists. And this has been entirely unnoted and unnoticed by all the biographers for the last hundred years. So I've had fun discovering hints in his letters and other small documents to build up this part of his life and describe it. Well, that's great. Um, and do you expect to be uh, to have a book out on the subject when you're all done with it? There's, there, there could be a book. I've done three articles. I'm planning uh -huh. one more. I'm not sure. Um, uh, I've got a book in me yet, but at this okay. point, but maybe we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listeners, you'll be able to find out about uh, uh, Bert's work by by googling him, Bert Hansen, B E R T H A N S E N. Um, getting back to hospitals in New York, Bert, there was yep. a, a general time in the history of medicine and medical treatment. Um, you mentioned 1890 as a, you identified as, as a time mm -hmm. that was a big turning point. What happened around 1890 or after uh, that, that, that did not exist before then that, that facilitated sort of a new generation of hospitals and, and healthcare? Right. The main thing was actually Louis Pasteur's discoveries of germs in the air and what we think of as the germ theory, the idea that most diseases or many diseases are caused by microorganisms that get transmitted and moved around and they cause trouble in our bodies. And so his ideas led to Joseph Lister to saying, if when I do surgery, I can um, keep the germs out by being careful, learning to wash our hands, things like that, and also spraying uh, various chemicals into the wound as they're operating, he could he managed to reduce the mortality of surgery. To that point, there was very little surgery worth doing because you would die the surgery if you weren't going to die the original problem. The only big surgery he did was battlefield surgery, where uh, if a soldier had a bad enough wound in an arm or leg, we'd cut off the limb and hope for the best. Um, and People did survive that at about a 50% rate, which is better than dying of a, of a wound for sure, but it was very bad. So the combination of germ theory, which helps us figure out how to do safer surgery, combined with anesthesia, which lets the patients be asleep and painless for the surgery. Um, and then in the 90s, we also got the x-rays too. So we had new technologies that made medicine able to do things that doctors had always wanted to and sort of knew how to do. They knew the anatomy. They could have done the surgery, except the patients would have died. So this will change strange uh, medicine in general. And so once we get these things, two things happen. Hospitals become expensive to run and operate because you need big laundries, lots of clean linens. You need chemicals. You need other things and x-ray machines. 
uh, and so and staff. hospitals <laughs> and, and staff, but they had volunteer staff, but now they need more staff. And so they have to start looking for paying patients and they can find them because now they can offer you something better than being sick at home at least for some illnesses. So that's, we get a, a new clientele. We start looking for middle-class patients and paying patients. Uh, and so that's really the, the hospital feels different. We go from a hospital where no one wanted to go, rich or poor, but the poor were sometimes forced into it, to the hospital where it's desirable to go if you're sick and people beg to get in or rich people want to go in and buy their way in. So that's is a, it's a total change in the nature of the hospital around 1890. And it starts a little bit earlier with maternity hospitals because there were some innovations in 19th century obstetrics and maternity care that allowed those hospitals to get a little early start by maybe 30 years on the general hospitals. So really, um, maternity hospitals started maybe in the 1860s, the 1870s? In, in, in New York, that's when they begin, yes. Oh, uh, they were there earlier in Europe. So there were famous ones in Paris and Berlin and London and Edinburgh and Ooh. Dublin. Uh, uh, and American doctors often went and studied there and learned new techniques that they then had and they brought them back and they said we should offer women in childbirth especially or women with certain uh, ailments uh, the new treatments we found about found out in Europe yes. uh, and so we had the a women's hospital founded by J Marion Sims and we had uh, the lying in as asylum uh, which becomes the lying in hospital and that's a wonderful building that's still with us uh, on Second Avenue, just above Stuyvesant Square. So around 1902, uh, we get a purpose-built hospital building uh, of a new kind. Mm. You know, I wanted to ask you, what role did architecture or new concepts in architecture play in hospitals that were being designed beginning around this time that that you saw many more hospitals being built? Right. Well, the traditional hospital plan from even before we had germ theory was you want fresh air because Sick people often smell. Um, and so they were built as corridors with rooms on either side and lots of windows. So the shapes of hospitals, the floor plan was always the letter E or the letter X or the letter H with all these pavilions going out, poking out like fingers where there could be light and air on both sides. Uh, by 1900, we, we have powerful fans and ventilation. And so the lying in hospitals is one of the first in New York that is a solid box. It's like 15 stories high and it has no arms. It's just one solid rectangle, but it's all mechanical vent ventilation and elevators. Um, and so that's a new possibility that starts in that period. We still have X and E and H shaped hospitals built after, uh, but we can do these solid structures and use the space more efficiently and a lot more efficiently. In, New in Manhattan, land is precious. <laughs> um, from an architectural standpoint right now, are there any of these older hospitals uh, that were built aside from the Lion Hospital, which you can still see, it's now a, uh, a, a condop actually yep. on 17th yep. Street <laughs> and uh, 2nd Avenue, right next to Stuyvesant Square, across from Stuyvesant Square. Um, are right. there any other older hospitals that were built around this time? I, for lack of a better term, the beginning of the golden age of hospital construction, you know, purposeful well, that well, uh, one you can still see today. One. There's one really beautiful one that people may have noticed, and even if they didn't know, it was a hospital. Um, if if your listeners can picture Central Park West at 105th to 106th Street, uh, facing the park, there's red brick buildings with with uh, conical roofs that looks uh, very much like it's in the style of a, a, a French uh, castle, uh, storybook shape, uh, round huge round uh, surfaces and towers and things. And this was built as the cancer hospital, another specialized hospital uh, in the 1880s. Uh, and it was quite successful uh, and expanded. And it, it, it continued into the 20th century, although when it merged with Memorial and then became Sloan Kettering, it moved to new, new locations. So the building survived, has a sad history that it was vacant some, then it was made into a nursing home in the mid 20th century. And some people may remember in the 1970s, there was a, the first huge scandal in America of uh, bad management in nursing homes. And the key example nationally was that nursing home 
Uh, there were lawsuits. Somebody went to jail. The place went bankrupt. And the building sat empty for 25 years, roof falling in and so on. Um, and eventually, realtor developers got it. They were, weren't successful. But then the second time a developer took it over, they built it, rebuilt it well. They've sold it well. And we have this fabulous building that we can walk all around. It's private apartments we can't go in but we can really enjoy the feel and the vision of the 19th century and see how impressive a charity hospital could be to impress the public and impress the donors uh, with the beautiful building when would we have then seen the next generation after 1900 of uh, of, of major hospital construction and, and bigger institutions in new york well, we, we see them. There's a bunch of them that come from, from the 20s and the 30s. Uh, and there are several buildings for Bellevue in that period uh, after it moved uptown. And they're all sort of a campus. Of, the early buildings are all nice white stone red brick in the uh, French Beaux-Arts style, although they're modern additions to them um, now. Uh, but we also, when we get to the 30s, late 20s and 30s, we have the first two big complexes, multi-building, really big clusters, and they're skyscrapers. They're, they're not just the 15 stories of lying in, they're 30 and 40 and 50 stories. And they're both built about the same time. Columbia is a little bit early, way uptown, Columbia Presbyterian, 168th Street in Manhattan and Broadway. Um, and the hospital that has changed names recently, but I still think of it as a New York Hospital Cornell Medical School, uh, which is on First Avenue, above 68th Street. Uh, and both of these were a, a single, at first, a single architectural design uh, with a certain amount of pretense for style and elegance, even though it was a huge, huge building. Um, and later, the later accretions make it sometimes hard to see the originals. But we had uh, these two complexes. And if people Google on them or look them up on online, um, the old postcards that are that are done from from um, uh, planes, airplanes show these complexes much better than you can ever see on the ground. Mm. Um, let's talk a little bit about government-created art from the 30s, and specifically mm -hmm. uh, through the WPA, which to me is a, you know, that veritable New Deal program. I, you know, right? Uh, yeah. uh, there were there was actually art that was created and that you still conceive specifically for healthcare institutions. What what are some, yes, what were we're lucky in that regard. Uh, the uh, hospitals, as well as schools and post offices, were a target site for. Uh, putting in artists and especially murals in the New Deal era. And up at Harlem Hospital, uh, there were four different artists who were commissioned in the coherent program who did quite a number of sets of different linked pairs or sets of four or six. And they were uh, in buildings somewhere in, in nurses' residence and so on. So they, for most of their history, weren't that visible to the public. But uh, in the last couple of decades, when the old buildings were to be torn down to build an extension, modern extension to Harlem Hospital, um, these were taken off the walls, put on canvas, transported, conserved well professionally and restored. And then when they opened the pavilion maybe 10 years ago at Harlem Hospital, the new what they call the murals pavilion, they built a white-walled art gallery next to the main lobby, and they put these in there. And it's open to the public. This is this is federal gift to New York, and the Health and Hospitals Corporation owns it and makes it accessible, and have done a fabulous job in it. And and so it's it's wonderful art by African American artists primarily that you can go see and enjoy. Um, and the architects saw the value of this representational, lively art. And so the facade of the building along Lenox Avenue is etched glass in color, uh, but they took images from these paintings and put them up there five stories high on the outside. So it's, a, it's an unnoticed treasure in New York, and I urge people to go and look at it, enjoy it, and appreciate it because it, it really – so many things have been lost from the New Deal era. There are there may be 10 or 15 other medical murals that I know of from New York City um, that have been just destroyed and lost over the years. But mm -hmm. but these are have saved and, and well-preserved. That's great. And you can see it uh, on Lenox Avenue and uh, 135th Street, uh, right across from the Schomburg Center, as a matter of That's fact. That's right. Yep. Um, 
Bert, we have about a minute left. Um, do you want to talk really briefly about um, hospital design and construction um, in the last couple of decades and how that and how that changed from from the twenties and the thirties? Yeah, I think the, the the main change I would highlight for people to notice when they walk around the city is the earlier buildings had a human scale and they cared about saying, "Welcome, we're important, and you're important, and come in." And so they had. They had doorways that were bigger. They had porches. They had columns with it. They had stairways that there was real orientation to this building. And that's true of the the high schools in in New York from that period, too. Um, When we got past the mid-century, the hospital designers just moved in with contemporary architecture. So um, after that period, you can't look at a building and know that it's a hospital. It's glass and steel, and it may be very well done. Some Some are quite wonderful, but there's nothing that says hospital or service or public or healing. They just look like the best of corporate architecture. And so we've kind of lost the specialness that that mm-hmm. hospitals had, uh, whether they were made to look like castles or churches, they were still, you knew they were hospitals to see, you know, those the wonderful old schools in New York were, were schools. So I, I like some of the buildings as individual buildings, but I find it kind of disappointing that um, they don't relate their purpose and their value to the public anymore. Mm. Well, kind of uh, the way some things go in modernism anyway. Um, yes. Bert Hansen, medical and hospital historian, uh, professor emeritus of Baruch College. Thank you so much for being on Rediscovering New York. My um, pleasure. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be speaking with our second guest, who's going to be speaking about a very important role that our government plays in providing hospital care in New York. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. And you're back to Rediscovering New York. Support for our show comes from our sponsors, Christopher Pappas, mortgage strategist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please call Chris at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York, its history, and the myriad textures of our amazing city. 
There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good morning, New York real estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. on voiceamerica.com and also on podcasts. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles on those channels are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about the real estate business in New York, when I am not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city. I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, within New York, I would love to help them with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest is Deidre Dinnigan. Deidre is an archivist and heritage specialist. She is the current president of the Archivist Roundtable of Metropolitan New York, a not-for-profit organization representing more than 400 archivists, librarians, and records managers in New York and New York and the metropolitan area. It's one of the largest local organizations of its kind in the United States. Deidre is also a small business owner. She's the principal of For Keeps, a company that works with institutions and individuals to create and execute plans for projects or tasks that use historical content and materials. As a heritage specialist, Deidre has managed history projects for various prominent New York City institutions, including the most applicable for us this evening, the New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, the largest healthcare system in the United States. From 2016 to 2018, she managed the Heritage Program, whose goal was to identify, gather, and organize into an archive materials related to the public hospitals serving New York City. Deirdre, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Hello, Jeff. Greetings from my bedroom in Brooklyn. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's the way of the world right now, but thank goodness for the miracles of modern technology. Yes, including yes. Uh, having our engineer being in another rem- a remote location. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, a former vice president who was removed to remote locations periodically. But anyway, um, <laughs> before we start, I just want to uh, uh, tell our listeners briefly about the Health and Hospitals Corporation. Um, it's run by New York City, and it's the largest municipal healthcare system in the country. It has $6.7 billion in annual revenues. It serves 1.4 million patients. Think about that, including more than 475,000 uninsured people who live in New York. And its services are provided in more than 190 languages. That's New York, everybody. Uh, it actually operates 11 acute care hospitals, five nursing homes, six diagnostic and treatment centers, and more than 70 community-based primary care sites. And they do serve primarily the poor and working class. Deirdre, let's talk a little bit about your background. Are you from New York originally? Uh, uh, no, no. I spent, I would say, more like 80% of my life here, though. I was born in the Caribbean on an island called Grenada, the Spice oh. Island of the West. Yes. Um, and I came here when I was about 12 years old. And so I went to, I spent the last uh, senior year in junior high, then I went to high school and I went to college here as well. So, but I've always been a New Yorker. I haven't mo- lived in any other state. I have sort of hopped around, you know, from Brooklyn to the Bronx and then back to Brooklyn again. Um, but yeah, I'm a native New Yorker by heart and location. Ah. Well, home is where the heart is. I actually was yeah. near to where you were born. Uh, my mother's boyfriend is from St. Vincent. And uh, a year ago, I actually made it to Union Island. And oh, Grenada is off in the distance. <laughs> I didn't get to Grenada. but uh, My family actually is from St. Vincent, immigrated to Grenada. But that's a different story. Uh, so we're all within the Caribbean islands. Yes. Well, also the uh, Grenadines. It's St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And the Grenadines. Yes. yes of which yes. Grenada is part of the Grenadines, but not those Grenadines. Right, right. Um, when did you decide that you would go into the fascinating profession of, of archiving? Uh, uh, that happened uh, in about 2010. Uh, prior to that, my goal was to become a professor of English Lit. So in high school, I was thinking of teaching the novel and looking at history through you know, uh, the social context that it would present in the written word. Um, and in undergrad, I majored in English literature and letters, and I also went to NYU and majored in, in um, uh, Victorian lit and American literature as well. About 2010, I went back to the Caribbean to visit my brother and for his wedding, and then I walked into a library looking for a book, um, and then I sort of saw this 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 facade that said 
archives. So I walked in on attended on assisted um, and I was allowed to peruse the, the, you know, the packages that were wrapped in brown paper, et cetera. And then I, and when I, when I left, I was very inspired to go back and preserve the works that I saw that were deteriorating on the shelf. So initially when I thought of archiving, I didn't think about organizing um, and giving access to the work, but more of preservation. So uh, I came back to the United States and I went for a second master's at the Pratt Institute in um, uh, library and information science and focused on archives and special collections. And I'm an archivist today, among other things. Mm. You're also, you used a word when we spoke on the phone before the program, I'd never heard this word before, a heritageist. <laughs> heritageist. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my husband says I make stuff up. Um, so I consider myself a heritage specialist, and that's because it's more, to me, more uh, broader than what an archivist does. An archivist organizes, preserves, give access to historic materials. As a heritage specialist, I can then uh, share, not just give access, but give access in innovative ways. So I, I help institutions and individuals tell their stories, use the content to inform the public about the institution's history through curated events, et cetera, anything that gets the materials being used and not just in boxes being tucked away in a basement or just in an archive only available for researchers. Did you start pursuing your, your, your heritage work hand in hand with being an archivist or did it come sometime after that? Uh, the, the heritage specialist um, title is a recent uh, development. Initially, as an archivist and the services I provide with my company has been creating archives, um, processing, uh, preservation. Uh, the heritage specialist umbrella allows me to, as I mentioned, uh, sort of delve deeper into sharing the historic material. So it didn't come in, it, it, it was sequential. You know, I realized mm -hmm. that it was more rewarding for me to work with the materials and share them than it was simply to organize them and have others have access to it, which is, of course, fulfilling work. So this is why I'm an archivist first. The heritage specialist in me allows me to work with individuals mm -hmm. and institutions to share the materials. You work with the Health and Hospitals Corporation. What was the nature of, of, of your work with them? Oh, that was an interesting project. So it uh, it happened in... Well, I only have people with interesting projects on my show. <laughs> <laughs> 2016 to 2018, I was hired by New York City Health and Hospitals. In 2015, it was renamed New York City Health and Hospitals from the corporation. So that part of it was removed. Um, and I was called in because... Um, you know, the, the New York City Health Department, not Health Department, hospital uh, system has such a rich history. It goes all the way back, as we've learned, through Burt, through uh, 1736 with uh, Bellevue. Now, the um, there are also many, many hospitals, as you mentioned, 11 acute and uh, five post-acute hospitals that uh, serve the public as well. And within that, you know, comprehensive history, there is no archive that really charts the development and contributions of each of these hospitals. So I was brought on to create a heritage program, something, uh, a, a department to manage the organization, well, the solicitation and the, the managing of these historic materials. So I had to create a program from scratch and then sort of uh, decide how each hospital was going to fit under this larger umbrella, what collections they had, how that was going to be accessed, um, what sort of materials would go into it, and how the public, of course, would interact with that material. We were successful. Uh, the project was short-lived because of funding and uh, other priorities, but hopefully it will pick up again. And um, But we were able to successfully create an archive for Bellevue, um, and it, it comprised of, I think, 365 linear feed of materials, that's photographs, institutional papers, objects, mm -hmm. ephemera, and so forth. And we were able to catalog the Seaview Museum's collection. So Seaview is one of, um, uh, it's not an acute hospital, it's a post-acute hospital. So currently, well, it was a tuberculosis hospital in 1913, but now it provides um, therapy, sort of speech therapy, auditory um, uh, therapy, physical therapy, for, and that's um, in Staten Island. In that's in Staten Island. So yep. Staten Island, as you mentioned, does not have a public hospital. Um, and they have a museum that has over 600 objects that showcases um, the, the use of the hospital during its, its tenure, its use as a TB hospital at the beginning of the 1900s or so. 
So those are the two things we were able to do uh, to complete under the project in two years. But there's so much more, of course, to to know and learn and uh, the work needs to continue in creating this archive for New York City Health and Hospitals. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Deirdre Dinnigan. We'll be back in a moment. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. We're back to Rediscovering New York in our special episodes about hospitals in New York City. Deirdre, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about For Keeps, what For Keeps does, and any projects yes. that you're working on right now? Oh, well, I am, uh, as I mentioned, transitioning from being solely an archivist into a heritage specialist, my new nomenclature. Um, and I work with institutions and individuals to share their histories through project planning and project management. So, Anything that has to do with using historical materials, whether it's a a milestone or a centennial, or if it's creating an archive, if it's sharing the company's history, if it's a symposium, I'm the person who sort of creates the plan and executes the plan to share that information about the institution or that particular history. Mm. Are there any particular projects that you're working on right now? Currently, I'm working with uh, private clients, um, uh, working on organizing photographic materials, um, and I'm in talks and consulting with other institutions, hopefully, to work on plans to execute uh, projects there as well. And if uh, any of our listeners wanted to find out more about For Keeps, what's, uh, what's your website? Uh, you will find <laughs> me at www.for-keeps.org. Great. Let's go back to the city. When when did the government of New York City start getting into the business or the service of providing hospital services? As Bert mentioned, um, you know, there was some element of um, medical care being offered as far back as, you know, pre-Bellevue uh, days. But the city... Um, the city's first official hospital was the Bellevue um, establishment. But if we go back a little, um, in 1736, you have Bellevue being created at City Hall and moving up to Bellevue and Kipps Bay uh, and that the eastern side of um, of Manhattan. And it was under the auspices of the almshouse department, uh, which is, which it was an almshouse department. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The almshouse department was formed in 1832. And it it was like an establishment that had hospitals, it had penitentiaries, it had asylums, it had workhouses. So when Bert talked about um, Roosevelt Island, which was had so many names, right? It was, uh, uh, was it Warden? No, Warden Randall Island was up north. Um, but you have Welfare Island was one name for it. All of these uh, services were provided under the almhouse department. And so about the mid-1800s or so, you have this transition, this sort of specialization that happens because there's an influx 
influx of um, immigrants and the population of New York City is growing so rapidly. That it's it's about management too, right? Because Alm House had so many tendrils that they separated in 1860 to be more efficient. So you have the Department of Charities being formed to manage the almhouses, the workhouses, and the hospitals. And then you have the Department of Corrections being uh, created to manage the penitentiary, the jails, and the prisons, and that sort of department. You kind of still see that separation today, too. Um, the hospitals, almhouses, and workhouses sort of take on a life of their own, and you have these other institutions being created. Um, you know, the Department of Human Resources, etc. You can find you know, the the connections between our modern versions of these uh, service departments and their earlier iterations. The hospitals at about 1902 or so um, becomes Bellevue and Allied Hospitals, that title. Um, and then uh, sometime between then and 1969, it was called the Department of Hospitals as well. So you have this sort of specialization that's happening. So the hospitals can take care of the sick while you have other departments in the city focusing on the other, you know, mental health and, uh, you know, uh, imprisonment asylums and those sort of things. Um, and in 1969, the New York City Department of Health, uh, Depart- Department of Hospitals was renamed the New York City Department um the Health and Hospitals Corporation in 2015, that corporation was dropped. So somewhere, you know, in the mid 1900s is when you see that sort of specialization happens happening and the city starts focusing more on pro- providing uh, more, I guess, direct medical care for its patrons because it was just too much to handle when it was under the larger umbrella of the almhouse, too many, too many departments to, to focus its energies. Mm. I want to uh, ask you about um, some of the city's hospitals in the system um, in a minute, but I, I do want to ask you uh, about uh, one of the boroughs, which actually is uh, was its own city until consolidation in 1898, and that's Brooklyn. Um, when did Brooklyn get its first public hospital? Uh, in about 1837, and that was Kings County. And Kings County was, I believe, a like emergency station at one point. And eventually it would develop into the kind of a hospital as we think of hospitals today. But you, if you're talking 1837, it's really before the, the, the split happens between the almhouse sort of approach to medical care. And after that, then you have the more specializations um, happening. So, yeah, Kings County had um, was was formed in 1837, but then you also have Coney Island Hospital in 1875, and then Woodhull. The dates from 1875. Wow, 1875. Yes, that's Coney Island, and Woodhull comes just just a gigantic leap later in uh, 1982. So the cute hospitals that you mentioned, um, there are three in the Bronx. That's Jacoby, Lincoln, and the North Central Bronx. Brooklyn has Coney Island, Kings County, and Woodhull. Manhattan has Bellevue. Harlem Metropolitan and Queens has Elmers and Queens hospitals. And that's the acute ones. The five post-acute hospitals that provide rehabilitation services and skilled nurse care are, uh, there's McKinney in Brooklyn, there's Kohler Gouverneur and Carter in Manhattan, and there's Seaview in Staten Island. And of course, there are other associations as well. Although the city's hospitals are public hospitals, um, some of the hospitals specifically are known for certain specialties, and actually, even though they're public hospitals, are renowned for for the specific specialties that they have. Do you want to talk about a couple of them? Uh, yes. I mean, there there are too many to mention <laughs> the time that we have, but I'm going to mention like a couple. I think, you know, it's very exciting to sort of think about, okay, if, um, you know, the public hospitals are um, really for, they're not privately, uh, they're not privately owned. So they're for the public. So if I get sick, I would definitely want to know where, which hospital I should get to. And they're also, you know, in these neighborhoods where to serve the residents. So they have these sort of specialties, you know, if they... Everything from, you know, um, multilingual services, depending on where they're placed. If you try to go to, um, I always laugh about this, if you try to go to um, a hospital in the Bronx, you have to drive from Brooklyn all the way up north until you can't go anymore to get to, say, Jacoby Hospital. But if you happen to have a snake bite, Jacoby Hospital is the place to go because they have a snake bite treatment program 
you know, anti-venom, critical care, wound care for victims. And that was, um, and Jacoby was uh, established in 1955, first as a specialized care and teaching hospital. So you have that sort of transition from having these, uh, I guess, initial services to growing over the decades to provide these specialized services as well. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and also I know that uh, uh, when I was growing up in the 1970s, Coney Allen hospital was known for having one of the best uh, acute cardiac care units in the whole city. <clears throat> and then of course, Bellevue um, uh, founded the children's psychiatric service in 1920. Yes. Which yes. Mm-hmm. Was the first, uh, the first, uh, place in the U.S. devoted to the study of, of child autism and also training child psychiatrists. Um, okay. it, I, I agree. Uh, Coney Island, uh, I should also add, uh, is designated as a safe center of excellence for um, sexual trauma and sexual assault. Um, and Bellevue, well, it runs the gamut. It's, it's just a critical resource for just about everything um, under the sun because it has the longest and most uh, complex history. I have a personal connection to some of the city's public hospitals. My mother got her appendix out in Coney Island Hospital back in the 50s. Um, uh, I actually worked in Kings County coding forms for the pediatric emergency room uh, back in the 80s. And my niece is now an emergency room nurse in Jacoby Hospital doing doing hero's work. Uh, Georgia, we're out of time. Thank you so much for uh, wow, thank me. you so much for having me. Being on, on Rediscovering New York. Our second guest has been Deirdre Dinnigan. Deirdre is the principal of Four Keeps. That's www.for-keeps.com. Is it com or org? Sorry. Dot org. Dot org. Okay, O-R-G. sorry. <laughs> well, we've just finished this week's exploration to New York's hospitals, their past and their present. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaco, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant for the show is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 